Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Quirology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Quirology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Quirology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 65 For those of us who are queer Catholics, there needs to be an effort to push the conversation forward while also being mindful of our our history and just how these conversations actually work within the Catholic Church. One of the most requested episodes that I've I've had so far is an episode on Catholicism. Uh, So so that's what this episode is. I'm, I'm super excited. Right around the time that a few more people had reached out and asked for this episode, a couple other people reached out and said, hey, we're we're looking to launch a new resource for for queer Catholics. Would you be interested in hearing about it? And I was like, this this is perfect. So I got them on the show. Uh, three guests today. I'll introduce them in a second. But they're working on launching this new resource called Vine and Fig, which seeks to elevate the lives of queer Catholics uh, with a fully inclusive and affirming view of the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, they hope to inspire other queer Catholics to more fully embrace the abundant life promised by Jesus uh, and witness in the lives of the saints through embracing God-given spirituality and sexuality. My, my guests today are the brains and, and the force behind this resource, uh, Pat Gothman, uh, who's a former seminarian, a former theology teacher, and a former religious brother. Uh, wait till you hear his story in this episode. It's it's wild. He like went to France to flee his sexuality. <laughs> He currently lives in Seattle with his fiance and is the editor of Reaching Out, a collection of LGBTQ stories from people of all faiths. Uh, second is Patrick Weston. Uh, he grew up in farm country, going to mass with his family, and holds to his Catholic values, uh, especially social justice for society's most vulnerable. While it took some time to figure out, he's realized that he can indeed be gay and Catholic. Uh, he currently lives in Columbus and develops websites for socially good clients. Uh, and then finally, Michael Vasquez is a public theologian, community organizer, storyteller, and educator advocating for social equity and liberation in the academy and the church. Uh, you may remember Michael from uh, one of the very early episodes of Queerology. He is back uh, doing really incredible things in this world. Uh, he is an MDiv student at Duke Divinity School uh, and is the founder and co-executive director of Brave Commons, an LGBTQ advocacy organization and inclusive Christian campus ministry. Uh, we talked about Brave Commons with Aaron Green a few weeks ago uh, on, the, on the podcast, so go check that episode out as well. Uh, before we dive into all of that, if you haven't registered for Q Christian Fellowships Conference happening in Chicago at the beginning of January, uh, you should go ahead and do that. Uh, I'm going to be doing a breakout session, uh, doing a live episode of Queerology. Super excited about 
how that's all shaping up. It's going to be a blast. Uh, so if, if you want to join us in Chicago, just head over to qchristian.org uh, and we'll see you there. Let's go ahead and dive in. Hey guys, welcome. Hey Matthias. Hey, I'm so excited to have you here. This is like the first time I've done like multiple people on the podcast. So we will see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try our best. Yeah. Uh, so, so to start, this is a question I ask everyone, uh, but how do you identify? And then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Well, my name is Pat Goffman. Uh, I am a gay Catholic and I believe that I think my faith has helped me realize that my identity is is something that is uh, a kind of a given to me by God. It's something that I have have received and not just made up on my own, um, but have been discovering and uh, developing within me, and that it's also a part of like this this greater community outside of me that I can go and, and find other people that, that share these, these nuances of, of my life that um, are, are really beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm Patrick Weston. I'm the the lesser attractive uh, Pat in the group. Uh, I would say I'm a gay Catholic, uh, cisgendered male. Um, I would say that for a long time, my faith and my sexuality were two pieces that I held in conflict with each other. Um, and I, I think my faith has really helped me realize that uh, I'm not monolithic. I'm comprised of many, you know, different beautiful pieces. Um, and that that's something to be celebrated and um, to, to be affirmed. Hi, and I'm Michael Vasquez. I am a gay Catholic, uh, Afro-Caribbean by heritage. Um, I would say my faith has really impacted my identity and my experience, um, mainly through the experience of hope um, and finding hope and joy um, in those different moving pieces, this mosaic uh, of my identity, both my ethnicity and how that intersects with my sexuality. And it feels like the glue that holds it all together. Matthias, I don't want to jump in. I don't want to jump in here by correcting somebody's identity, but uh, the, the whole le- worst looking, lesser looking thing that Patrick threw out there was, I know this is a podcast and we can't exactly offer proof or anything, but that's for us. <laughs> I feel like I'm your stunt double, Pat. Like I'm the one that can risk a broken arm, and it's fine. You're the oh worst. <laughs> website if your arm was broken. We can let everyone just look up y'all's Instagrams, and then they can decide. I'll put a poll in my story. There you go. I hate both of you. So, so one thing that y'all like have in common is is this Catholic identity, uh, which is which is something that like I feel like on this podcast, like we haven't really talked about a whole lot. Like it's been more Protestant focused. So I'd be curious, like, I feel like there are a lot of similarities, but there are vast differences as well. And I would love to kind of hear some of y'all's stories of, of what it's been like to grow up in the Catholic Church and, and to hold on to this specific component of your identity and, and what's that, what that has been like. Yeah, so my experience growing up Catholic has been... It's been interesting. I feel like everyone's, you know, faith journey is is always full of stories. Um my family predominantly Catholic on both sides, but also a, a large kind of Protestant evangelical side um, as well. So I feel like I've had this experience where I've kind of been navigating back and forth between Catholicism and, and non, non you know Protestant um, viewpoints. And 
I think it was something that I took for granted for a long time. I kind of just grew up going to mass um, with my parents and family. And it was just something that was kind of a part of me. Um, the area I grew up in was largely Protestant and um, there would be kind of jokes at school and that sort of thing about being Catholic, nothing too serious, but something that made me realize that um, when it came to at least my viewpoint or, or my existence in this Christian circle that I could sometimes be an outsider. Um, that being said, I like went to Awana classes with a cousin and like to totally loved it. Um, so there's like, it's a, it's a mixed bag. I feel like within any sort of large cultural group, there are different viewpoints. And so I definitely experienced that. Um, a similar experience um, at, in college, I would go to, to mass, you know, every week at the, the campus center. But then I would also have students from, I'll just say a, a Christian organization on campus come and try to like question if I was a true Christian or, or question my baptism at a very, very young age as an infant as opposed to later in life and things like that. So there are definitely some similarities and differences, some good, some bad. Um, but uh, I guess that's kind of my Catholicism in a nutshell and experiences there. Yeah, I'd say I have a really confusing journey. Um, I grew up in a Catholic home, um, but then my summers were spent with a Pentecostal family back in the Caribbean. Um, so very like exposed to both sides. I would say both extremes of the Christian spectrum um, in terms of denominations. And uh, I feel like a lot of it has been just a journey of trying to find a sense of home. Like, being very culturally Catholic um, and linked to that um, as my family drifted away from church and just mostly held on to a cultural identity around the Catholic church, but not much uh, beyond that. And then going off to Catholic college and like figuring out, do I fit here right with the underlying question of my sexuality? Like, do I belong here? Is there ever a place that I can kind of fully belong in? And even when I went off to join an evangelical ministry and then work for them after college. I also work part-time as a parish administrator at a Catholic church, like one foot in one foot out um, with this on just, again, this ongoing question of like, is this home? Can this ever fully be home? Um, not that the, the other spaces necessarily felt more so like home, but just kind of this long journey of trying to find a place um, where spiritually and communally I could put down uh, the fruits, I guess you could say. Um, but always really identifying highly with Catholic, uh, a lot of Catholic theology, not all of Catholic theology, but I'm um, feeling most in tune with that and, um, and yet trying to figure out how can I hold on to that in light of these other questions that are looming, if that makes sense. Pat, I know, I know like, I, I'm, I'm curious if you can maybe speak to that, that component of trying to figure out your, your sexuality and, and your identity being in the Catholic Church, because I know, like, I, I mean, I know all of y'all's stories, but Pat, like, y you have a story <laughs> trying to figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. I I grew up in kind of Chicago area, but also in, in Dallas and in an area where I think faith was an enormous part of, of everybody's lives, just culturally speaking. And so... When I got into high school, right about the time that everyone was was discovering their sexuality and was was experimenting with it and and um, 
really developing their lives in, in that area, even if it was only just, you know, dating and things like that. Um, I felt like there was very little space for me to uh, explore my sexuality. And it was very much, uh, once I started to have a faith life, the side of me that was exploring my sexuality and had had some experiences and things like that, where I was beginning to say, oh, okay, I'm gay. This is who I am. I just, I shut that off. So starting going into my senior year of high school, I had had some really powerful faith experiences within the the, the Catholic church that really, you know, I, I described as, as really big conversion experiences. And I was extremely content and and thrilled with my my faith life but the sexuality side i just i put on a shelf and i didn't deal with it at all um and that was partially a a side effect of of kind of how the catholic church deals with um the queer community where it's largely it's just kind of it's spoken in these abstract terms of of you know you experience same sex attraction and you or you suffer with same sex attraction and and so it's kind of it's this very it's it's a private thing that isn't really shared with anybody and so um i ended up out of uh after one year out of high school i ended up going into seminary um and that was just a time when you could in the Catholic church never have to deal with your sexuality. It was, it was something you would work on like purity. You would work uh, on, you know, just kind of knowing yourself kind of generally, but everybody was celibate there. So like there was no, it wasn't why, why aren't you dating? There was no, you could hide very easily in a Catholic seminary if you're gay. Um, and, and I, I loved it there. I thought that they were a great group of guys. I thought that what we were doing was really wonderful, but kind of by the end of that time, uh, I realized that even though the seminary was wonderful, I didn't want to be a priest. I didn't want to do the things that a, a Catholic priest actually does of celebrating mass and hearing confessions and things like that. That's not what I felt called to do. And so after three and a half years, I ended up leaving. Uh, and I, I went back to Dallas and ended up teaching in a, a Catholic school. I taught social justice and I coached baseball and I, I loved the work. That was like the first time that I found work that I was doing that I felt super fulfilled in, but I was now back in that super Southern faith rich culture where it was expected if you're a single guy um, that is, you know, not quite as good looking as Patrick Weston, but you're, you're okay that like, you're going to be dating out there. And so folks were constantly, you know, in my parish, we're just like, I got the perfect girl for you. And then it became, you know, so what's going on. And, you know, you can only play the like, well, I just got out of seminary card for so long. And, and by the end of, of two years, I was, I was near a breaking point and I was, felt like I was, I was veering more towards, towards suicide than I was towards, you know, just like, oh, I'll be able to be a good Catholic celibate, same sex attracted guy for the rest of my life. Um, and it, I, I had enough kind of Catholic bones deep down inside me to know that like, okay, well, if I'm veering towards suicide, that's like a really bad sign. Um, that doesn't mean that like, wow, I must be like doing the suffering thing really well. That means I'm doing the suffering thing really badly. And so I 
then ended up joining a religious order because um, you got like three real options. If you're going to be um, a, a celibate guy within the Catholic Church, you can you can just be like a you know single celibate guy like I did when I was uh, teaching. You can be a priest or you can join a religious order. And so I tried the third option and I joined a religious order in France, um, sold all my like literally everything I had, it was a pretty strict religious order, kind of old school. So I said goodbye to everybody, including my family and not knowing when I would ever see them again. Most of my friends, I assumed I never would. Um, and I went, it was when I then got there the very first night and I like sat in my cell and just kind of stared at these blank white walls that I was just like, Oh God, what have I done? Like I've really, I, it hit me suddenly just how far I was willing to go to hide from myself. And so it was in that moment, like right then I was like, Nope, this is wrong. I actually got to get out of here. Um, and it took some time. I didn't want to just go all the way to France and then turn around and come right back. And I wanted to, I realized, you know, oh God can, you know, right straight with crooked lines and who knows even maybe though that even if i had bad intentions in coming here it was just to to hide my sexuality and not deal with who i really was maybe this is where god wants me and stuff so i took a little bit of time just to get to know the community more and i was really honest with the community up front of like i really don't think i'm supposed to be here and i actually like sat down with the head of all the brothers and was like look here's the real reason why i came here um and eventually they're like yeah you know, three months in, it's probably, it's time for you to go. And so I went back to Dallas and that was the first time then that I allowed myself to even just accept the fact of like, okay, I am gay. What does that mean now? Um, so it was years and years of, of, of running and hiding and just trying to be like, well, I'm same sex attracted. So I really don't have to deal with this. Uh, I could just, my, the answer is be celibate. Um, but when I realized that none of those options actually worked, I, I had to then come back and really wrestle with, well, what is it that God wants of me? What is it? How do I fit into the Catholic church and how do I move forward from here? Um, and that, that was a huge undertaking. I, I, I would imagine like Patrick and Michael, like you've, you two have probably both had similar experiences realizing or, or starting for the first time to, to really figure out th how you're going to live your lives. Um, and, I'd be curious, either Patrick or Michael, that experience of of being like, I'm going to start dating. I'm going to like the, the celibacy thing isn't working for me anymore. I, I'd love to hear kind of more about what that was like. I had an interesting kind of coming out in stages. Um, like Pat was kind of alluding to, it, it, being gay and Catholic is not something that's really brought up or talked about. Um for a long time, I just like believed that I couldn't be gay because I was Catholic and it was just like incongruent and that wasn't who I was. I might think guys were cute, but that totally didn't mean that I was gay. Like that's something separate. And so I was in like a pretty long term relationship with a girl and um, kept using kind of Catholicism as a shield for avoiding kind of both physical and emotional closeness. And it was kind of through that relationship and, and seeing other friends in relationships where I started to realize that this wasn't working and then this wasn't what was supposed to be happening in a relationship between two people. Um, kind of an unfortunate set of circumstances that I was like involved with another person in figuring this out. Uh, and kind of something that still bothers me today that 
I, I could have caused some pain and harm there. But it then made me realize that, you know, this piece of me, this being gay and being attracted to men was something that I couldn't change. It was something that I had to, had to figure out and, and, and kind of work through. And I really struggled for a long time. Um, came out to my parents and they were very supportive and helpful, but at the same time, uh, difficulties in, in finding the day-to-day um, solutions that I was looking for. So I remember having conversations where they were like, oh, you can still go to mass, you can still kind of be Catholic. But then the questions of like, okay, well, if I want to get married, what does that look like? Um, and those were questions that I really kind of wrestled with and some that I honestly still don't have answers to. But I realized that there's still life in these gray areas that um, I could still kind of flourish and uh, be prosperous um, and that I didn't have to be so cynical about things, that I could um, be optimistic about life, that I could still be Catholic, I could I could be gay as well. But then really finding um, resources out there, um, scouring stories for gay Catholics. I think I ran across Michael's podcast um, with you, Matthias, and I, I believe there was some mention of Catholicism at some point in that interview and that being really kind of life-giving to me. Um, and so that was helpful. Um, but yeah, interesting, interesting journey for sure. Uh, and now to the point where um, like being in an actual relationship with a guy has been kind of amazing. And the fact that it hasn't felt that much different from any other relationship with friends or family or romantic relationship in my life where you're like trying to make something work with another person, but yet feeling a sense of physical and emotional closeness with another person that I haven't felt before has been um, kind of amazing too. I feel like in that podcast episode with Michael, we only mentioned Catholicism very briefly. Michael, I would love to maybe hear more about what that journey has been like for you, because you've kind of straddled this world back and forth a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said before, just kind of in this process of finding my way. Um, And so I feel like in a lot of ways, like a very much renegade Catholic, like I ran off to go hang out with evangelicals for a while, thinking that that was going to be better. Plot twist, it wasn't. Go, you know, look up the other podcasts for more details on that. But what was interesting is I think... uh, even while I was working um, in an evangelical context, how much Catholic theology around this informed the way I interacted with my sexuality. And so I remember one dis- like very distinctive conversation um, with my supervisors and saying, um, <laughs> very om- I was a little snarky, a little honest, but like Catholics, uh, I said Catholics have no aversion to suffering. We, we have a robust... Uh, theology of suffering um, that I think in a lot of ways there's a lot of there's a lot of beauty um, in having um, the kind of engagement with the theology of suffering that um, the Catholic Church does, um, but it also makes it easier for us to do things that we probably don't need to be doing. Um, we're like, well, if Mother Teresa did all of these like wild things and sacrificed so much, then um, then surely we can too, so that we can also be holy. And so questions about celibacy in particular were easier for me to grapple with than um, the experience of reparative therapy that I went through with evangelicalism. And so in my head, I was like, well, a myriad of saints have gone before us in the Catholic church as this committed celibate people. And like, if they could do it, I could do it too. Um, 
and really holding on to that, like in a lot of ways, that gave me the strength to one walk away from reparative therapy um, in that context, um, but also limited my my willingness to consider other options for a while. Um, and it was through the interest, this very interesting experience in the parish that I was working at, where this older generation of Catholic folks who had experienced the Catholic renewal of the sixties and the seventies, um, very like hippie experience. Uh, it's very beautiful, but there's like a young cohort of very traditionalist Catholics, like in their twenties. And then there's this older generation of people still, um, trying to recall a time in which they felt the spirit most alive in their lives. And those people in particular, um, seem most open to, uh, the conversation about affirmation and inclusion. Um, many of them weren't even questioning it anymore. Many of these lay people had already arrived in a different, at a different conclusion, um, than the church itself had. And I wondered, okay, these people have been around the block for a minute. Like, um, they have been faithful, um, they've been committed, and yet um, some of them have arrived at this place where they say that God fully loves and includes and affirms queer folk. Um, and as I was experiencing greater and greater frustration um, within the evangelical context that I was in, seeing this other like a glimmer of hope, that was a significant um, that contributed significantly to me leaving evangelicalism and choosing a different path out um, without it, which is ironic, right? Like they were talking about a, a denomination and we're talking about a monolith that does not um, publicly support queer folk in this way theologically. Um, and yet that was one of the major means by which I was able to escape a much more toxic environment. That's so interesting because I feel like, I mean, you just mentioned this, the Catholic church as a whole <laughs> has a very strong stance on human sexuality. And yet there there are all these pockets of, of queer people kind of within the community still existing in this world who are saying, like, we don't agree with that. Um, I guess my, my question is, like, what is the state of the Catholic Church? Because, like, with, with evangelical churches, there's not this really this hierarchy that we have to work with. Individual churches can kind of change their minds on whatever they want, anytime they want with consequence, but not within this this web of structure that's that's present in the Catholic Church. I'd love to hear kind of what that particularity is like. Um, and I don't know who I'm asking this question. Maybe yeah. you all have ideas, but. Um, a thought that comes to mind, and this might be a little like history, theologian, nerdy stuff. But Let's do it. going to run with it. Yeah. Um, I by no means want, I'm trying to give the Catholic Church a pass. Um, it, it's clear by just turning the news on to seeing like the, the crisis around human sexuality and the ways in which that has caused significant amounts of trauma, abuse, um, across the board. Um, and, and so there's, there's no way in which I want to give the church a pass, but something that I have found interesting historically, uh, within the Catholic church has been the willingness to allow, um, space for thought in some spaces, um, within the church. And, there are instances where you have theologians who are lauded as saints and doctors at the church. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Julian of Norwich, a, a Catholic mystic and theologian um, hundreds of years back who talked about uh, Jesus as our mother and like gives these large explanations of what that means. And 
um, talks about just God in this very feminine way. And I, there's a way in which there is um, underneath the surface of all of this, underneath the, the messiness, the problems, the abuse, um, and the non-affirming theology, there is material. Um, there's raw material to work with, uh, material that has helped the Catholic Church come into the 21st century um, that I think would help in this era transform a lot of the ways in which we think about human sexuality and move in a way um, towards inclusion and affirmation. For for the other two of you, I mean, what is it like to do this work as a queer person within a church structure that, I mean, in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, like there really isn't much hope of massive change happening, at least in our lifetimes. Um, whereas other branches of, of some Christian churches, there is that hope. What is that like? It's difficult. I've heard um, a quote before about change in the Catholic church and how it takes centuries and not years. And I feel like that's totally valid. Um, I find hope in the fact that, uh, that there can be some sort of change down the road. Um, but also I feel like Pope Francis has provided me some hope as well. Um, a kind of a, a softer view on some issues, especially r- regarding um, being gay. Um, so there, it, it's a it's a difficult balance between uh, having this very long term view, but also kind of wanting to see change both for yourself, but also kind of generations just after you. Um, so it's it's difficult. Yeah, I think that the Catholic Church definitely thinks in generations, and that. It, it takes an enormous amount of time to move an institu- institution this old and, and this large. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't change. Uh, it doesn't mean that it hasn't changed. Um, it's, I always think back to um, Robert Bellarmin, who was the uh, priest who was in charge of, I think it was a cardinal at the time, he was in charge of the... Uh, Inquisition in Spain, which isn't really a job title that has aged well, but he was the one who actually dealt with Galileo. And when he was censuring Galileo and saying, hey, you can't be saying that the earth revolves around the sun, um, it, what he actually said was a little more nuanced than you know the version that we usually get of like, oh, the Catholic Church you know, hated Galileo and it, it hated science and all that kind of stuff. It actually what it, he said was that science hasn't yet actually conclusively been able to prove this. It's still in the realm of a theory. And so as long as it's a theory, we need to be careful about how we talk about it. But if you can prove that the earth goes around the sun, not the other way around, then we should have to revise our understanding of those scripture verses that talk about the sun going around the earth. And and that it wasn't that we disbelieve science. It was that we need to not jump to any conclusions and we need to take a slower pace at this because it's going to be a big revolution if we end up doing this. And that's the hope that I have for the Catholic Church. By no means is that the current position of every leader within the Catholic Church. I think most, it would be fair to say, just have a position of, look, we're against same-sex marriages, we're, you know, against all this language of queer inclusion and stuff like that, and we're not going to move on it. But 
there is a history within the Catholic Church of saying, look, if we take a slow pace at this, if we don't rush things, and if we talk about it responsibly, can we have that discussion? Because if it is the case that our understanding of queer folks and their romantic relationships are more nuanced and more healthy than we had previously thought, we would have to revise our understanding of these scripture passages and the traditions that we we call upon for what has been the church's traditional position on homosexuality. Um, so I think there is is great hope there, but we we've we've got to be, actually be patient with the the church, which is not something that is easy to do. Uh, but for those of us who are queer Catholics, like there needs to be an effort to to kind of push the conversation forward while also being mindful of our, our history and just how these conversations actually work within the Catholic Church. Uh, one of you were talking, it was either Pat or Patrick, um, earlier about this struggle to find day-to-day solutions. Uh, and, and, I, and I know you all are working on launching this this resource for queer Catholics. Um, and, and, and I'm imagining to kind of fill that void of, of, of day-to-day solutions. Uh, Patrick, I'd love if you could maybe talk a little bit more about what y'all are doing to, to kind of fill this. Yeah. So we're creating an organization called Vine and Fig. Um, we're hoping to just provide a source of community for gay Catholics, uh, queer Catholics really. Um, and then to provide, start to provide some of these resources about, how to find parishes or how to feel welcome in certain environments or what it means like to maybe not have a church home in your community. Um, Just different ways to let folks know that they're not alone and that there are other people out here trying to kind of solve these problems as well. That sense of, of, of being alone. I feel like, I mean, as, as, as queer people of faith, that's a common experience, (laughs) but within a particularly Catholic context, uh, Patrick, like, could you talk more about that? You know, growing up, there was not much discussion about being gay. And as a result, uh, I felt like I had nobody to turn to. I felt like my parents were off limits. I felt like spiritual leaders were off limits. And so there was a very kind of lonely experience of trying to figure out what I was going through. And it led to kind of unhealthy mental practices and, um, kind of just not so great things in my life. Um, and then even, even after kind of coming out to myself as being gay, trying to reconcile that identity with being Catholic was also a lonely experience. Um, not finding those voices online in kind of faithfully LGBT circles um, was a little frustrating and also um, in a way like invalidating and it made me feel like maybe I, this isn't for me. Maybe I still haven't figured things out or maybe being gay and Catholic is just something that's not possible. So um, kind of reaching out with, with Michael and Pat, um, we've started to create this sense of community. I even would say among the three of us that has been really beneficial in my life. And I think that we want to share that um, with other folks and to start to create this community so that folks aren't lonely um, and have somewhere to belong. So, Michael, I know you said earlier that you, you y'all are hoping to launch around Christmas. Tell me, like, what what is it that you're hoping to launch? Like, what what is this going to look like? The vision, the dream, I think that really inspired even the name Vine and Fig, right? To speak about like how we're talking about hope just now is... Um, 
the prophet Micah testifies, right, that one day everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, that there's a day coming where everyone um, will no longer be afraid, um, is how the verse ends. And uh, and there's something about that spirit of hope, right? I, I'm a strong believer in that hopelessness is a, um, is a luxury of the privilege um, and that we um, get to tap into hope. And I feel like even the choosing of this season of Advent and Christmas to launch um, is really driven by this this hope that there there is a day coming where we will experience uh, a deep joy um, that will heal the trauma of this experience. But until then, uh, let's put a website together. Um, until then, let's create a space where we can journey together to there uh, to that place of hope and joy and freedom. And so, um, come Christmas, uh, we'll have a site up where. Um, we'll share stories. We'll share um, short videos, long videos. I'm long-winded, so probably longer videos. Sorry, Pat. Um, and uh, different kinds of resources for people to figure out. Like Patrick had already said, like how do you find your place um, in the Catholic Church as a queer Catholic? And and really, I think of um, how places like Twitter have become. Uh, a space of community of deep community intimacy for marginalized populations. Um, and the hope and the dream is that there, that there would be a way in which um, queer Catholics would kind of find um, a space um, to feel at home um, and to connect and to share stories and to finally feel like I am not alone. Um, there might not be anyone in my immediate proximity, um, but but there's someone on the internet uh, a thousand a thousand miles away that I can connect with and, and develop that kind of uh, relational uh, intimacy and community with um, so that I, that I can feel safe um, in some capacity, especially for folks. I think um, there's a ways in which we, some of us have been able to experience kind of the lighter end of um, the Catholic church's theology, because it is a diverse space within the church. Um, and there are folks in much more conservative, much more um, strongly anti-queer, um, much more patriarchal spaces, um, where I hope that even those spaces, um, a glimmer of light might reach um, to whatever queer folks might be um, hiding and, and desperate for, for community. How will people be able to find this resource and how can people find each of you? Yeah. So we're at vineandfig.co. Um, very basic website right now. We're hoping to get more resources and things up as we get closer to launch and videos and things like Michael said. Um, and on Twitter, we're at vineandfigco as well. Um, Going to be building up both of those over the next couple of weeks. And I'm over at Patrick F. Weston pretty much everywhere. I'm at at P Gothman, P-G-O-T-H-M-A-N. I'm uh, at M-V Sebastian. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Like, I'm super excited about this resource. I think I'll, I'll probably like peek in and, and like peek over the fence a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm so grateful for the work that you guys are doing. Uh, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing everything that will come out of this. So thank you guys. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. I just said, thank you, Matthew. I'm sorry. Thank you, Matthias. Matthew. Oh my God. <laughs> Please edit that out. <laughs> I'm going to mute myself now. Be sure to check out Vine and Fig over at vineandfig.co. They're on Twitter at vineandfigco. Be sure to follow each of these guys individually. Michael is at MV Sebastian. Patrick Weston is at Patrick F. Weston. 
and Pat Goffman is at P. Goffman. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is supported by its listeners. You can help keep spreading a message of love and belonging by pledging a dollar or more a month. Just head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to find out how. A really easy way to support Queerology is by leaving a rating or review. Do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com review. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. Until next week, y'all. Bye. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.